Just a young gun with a quick fuse. I was uptight, wanna let loose. I was dreaming of bigger things and wanna leave my own life behind. Not a yes sir, not a follower. Fit the box, fit the mold, have a seat in the foyer. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Feel the thunder, lightning and the thunder, thunder, feel the thunder, lightning and the thunder, thunder, thunder. Kids were laughing in my classes while I was scheming for the masses. Who do you think you are? Dreaming about being a big star. They say you're basic, they say you're crazy Always riding in the backseat Now I'm smiling from the stage While you were clapping in the nosebleed Thunder, feel the thunder Lightning and the thunder Thunder Feel the thunder, lightning and the thunder. I've been nice to you, and you're having an attitude problem. Well, sometimes you have an attitude problem. Not usually. Yeah, you do. Because that's a problem. Just you some problem. Who, me? Yeah. Why? Because you're the one that's not. Thunder, feel the thunder. Lightning and the thunder, thunder, feel the thunder. Lightning and the thunder, thunder, feel the thunder. Lightning and the thunder. Hey, good morning, everyone. How you doing? Good, good. My name is Adrian Asher. Thanks so much for being here. So how many of you ever feel that kind of tension and like stormy thunder going on in your families or on, on your way to church? You felt that today? <laughs> you feel that tension? Oh, you know what? I feel that too. I feel that every day. And we are in a series today where we're going to be wrapping things up. We're talking about it's just a phase. And we're going to be looking at how we can um, go into our relationships and we can communicate with our families and our loved ones and our kids and we can set boundaries with our children, but we can value the relationships that we're in more than the fighting, right? So I'm really excited to have Drew Daniels here. Drew is our director of 1829 and he is an amazing communicator. He loves Jesus. He's great. And I'm really excited to hear again his heart on this topic. But before Drew comes up, I want to um, bring up Tyler Verrier. Tyler is our student ministries director here at Clinton Township. And there are a lot of great opportunities for our students to get in involved in things, and I want Tyler to tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks so much. Hey guys, like Adrian said, my name is Tyler, and I am the Student Ministries Director here at Clinton Township, and I wanted to share you share with you about a very cool trip we have coming up for our students in uh, 6th through 12th grade. So it's our Student Serve Camp, and it's going to be incredible, and I want to tell you why I'm so excited about it. So we believe, uh, our team got together this summer, and we believe that Students' lives change the most 
when they serve, when they get outside of themselves, when they break the routines. I know those of you in the room with, uh, with kids know how crazy your kids' schedules can be. Going to school, keeping up with the sports, staying on top of the social circles, and going, going hanging with their friends, right? We believe real, lasting life change comes when they get an opportunity to serve. So this week is going to be incredible. It's going to be in Racine, Wisconsin. Um, we're going up there. And if any of you guys have been uh, involved with our Spring Serve program that happens here locally, that is essentially what we're going to be doing in Racine. It's an underserved community with some people in it that really need our help. So we're going to go there and we're just going to blitz the whole area of building wheelchair ramps for handicapped people, uh, helping out the elderly in the neighborhood, just cleaning up, painting houses. So we are really excited about that. Registration is open. Please go sign up for that. Um, If you have any questions, you can come find me in the lobby after this. I would really, really love to answer any of them. And guys, we really believe in this. I know for me personally, when I look back at my experience in Edge, when I was 10, 12 years ago, when I was in Edge, I look, what changed my life the most was times when I was able to go do things. And that's exactly what we want to send our students out to do. So come find me in the lobby and I'll answer any questions you guys have. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah. I love when I think about the next generation and all that God wants to do through them. They're kind of like an unstoppable force, aren't they? It's like we have this opportunity just to pour into them. Um, And next week, we're going to be starting a series, and we're going to call it Unstoppable Force. So I love that it ties to our next generation as well as where we're going as a church. Um, We're going to be taking a look at who Jesus is what he did when he started the church, and how, when he designed it, he designed it to be this unstoppable force. So why don't you take a look at this video, and hopefully it'll give you just a glimpse of what the next three weeks are going to look like. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And so we have people that are launching new initiatives, new dreams, all the time. The beauty of life is when you can say, we did this together. That's what I want. As a church family, we can fuel incredible mission and ministry here and around the world. I think the best is yet to come. You know, God is moving, and I think it's so awesome that we get to be a part of that movement. Um, One of the things that's so cool about... um, the unstoppable force is that we get to be a part of it at our campus specifically through the building that is on its way, right? Um, in a couple months, we're going to be in this building and we are going to be that unstoppable force um, that the kingdom of God is going to move forward through us. And maybe you haven't had a chance yet to see kind of the progress of what is going on with the building and how far we've kind of come with that. So we wanted to just um, show you a little bit about where we are. So please welcome back Frankie, the intern in this video. Oh my gosh, this thing is like a polar vortex. Can you see it, Tom? Oh my gosh, it's so hot. Yeah! All right, everybody, it's Frankie the Intern here. We're back to check out the Clinton Township building. We're going to get to go on a tour today. I'm pretty excited. It's our lucky day. All right, everybody, this way, this way. This is where we're going now. Something we're really excited about for this room in particular, though, is that if our 
alpha class really works out, we're going to be starting Beta and Charlie. Okay, you guys, this is the multi-purpose room. It's going to be used for alpha and celebrity recovery. They're going to have a production booth here in the back. Wow, is this the lobby? Oh my gosh. Wow, a couple, just like several months ago, there was no roof, there was no walls. This is incredible. I've got a lot of pride and joys in this building. But I gotta tell you, one of them is the men's bathroom. So come here, check it out, look at this. Wow. You got your sinks, but the best part is, look, how many stalls you got, look how many urinals you got. Oh man. Look at that. Praise the Lord. And this one right here will be one with a handicap. Ooh. Big, nice, spacious. Look at that. Yeah. Pl plenty of room. Um, well, excuse me just for a moment. Oh, that's a urinal. Oh. Oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> 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 we can see from the outside, looks like they got this garage door here so they can bring in any vehicles or large items, such as an animal, as we've had on stage before. You guys, look at this auditorium. It's because of all the people who have given to the Everyone campaign. Thank you guys so much. It's going to be thousands of people in this region who don't know Jesus Christ. Great people that God is going to bring, and they're going to move this ball forward. We don't even know them yet. It's pretty great to think about. All right, you guys. It's been awesome to be on this Clinton Township tour today. I'm pretty excited for the impact that this building is going to have. It's going to be awesome, you guys. Can't wait to see you guys next time. It's Frank the Intern signing off. Much love. Hey, Tom, check this out. Check this out. I think they're going to build a pool in here because they got a ton of pool noodles. I'm going to build a raft. It's exciting, huh? <laughs> One of the things I love um, is how Steve really tied it together and just said the most important thing is not just this building, but that there's a place for people in this region, in this community to come and to hear about Jesus. And that's really what our heart is. So we're excited about that. And with the new building, um, there are tons of opportunities for you to step in and get involved in serving. We have a lot of serving teams here right now, and they're great. But when you have a building, you have a lot more. <laughs> so not only are we growing our teams, but there are going to be additional things that are going on where we're going to want you to be a part of. So I'm sure you've all been hearing about it for the last couple weeks. I'm going to first invite the ushers down. And if you haven't received um, one of these cards that just says, we want you. It's our We Want You campaign. That's what you've been hearing. Um, our ushers are here to hand those out to you. If this is something that's been on your heart, you'd like to step in and volunteer in an area, I want you to fill this card out. Um, but just keep in mind that, you know, this is all of us moving forward. This is God's movement, and we get to be a part of it. And so for you to take the time and to serve, um, it's not just going to bless others. It's going to bless you. And so we want you to be in it with us. We need everybody, you know, for this to, um, to move the way that we know God is going to move it. We actually don't need anybody. God's going to move it on his own, whether we do it or not. But we want you to be a part of it because we know he's going to bless you and he's going to bless the people that come in um, to the building. So please be a part of that with us. You can either drop that in the offering pouch coming out. It'll come around later today, or you can take it out to the Welcome Center and you can drop it off as you uh, leave here today. All right. So why don't you stand up? We have a lot of people in the building. So not only say hello to people, but kind of move in towards the center so people can come and sit on the ends.
Oh, look. Look. She took her first look at step. Her. Have a great day, sweetie. I hope she'll be okay. Oh, she'll be fine. All right, hold still, honey. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, it's not too bad. Just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know. I know. I'm so sorry, honey. Girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Ugh. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. Well, good morning, everyone. How you doing? Man, I'm so glad to be with all of y'all this morning. Uh, my name is Drew Daniels. I work on the staff team here at Kensington. Uh, I've been on staff for about four years now. I serve in our uh, 1829 ministry, which is our young adults ministry, ages 18 through 29, cleverly titled. Uh, but before this, I actually worked with our teenagers at our Troy location um, for about the better part of two years, maybe three and then uh, I worked with uh, elementary age students for about 10 months at our Birmingham location as well. And for four summers, I spent my time working at Spring Hill Camps with so many kids. So I look at this series, this theme that we're in, uh, it's just a phase, so don't miss it. Uh, talking about parenting and family life and how to really invest in the relationships that seem to really matter. If you haven't been joining us in this journey, uh, the first week uh, that we uh, were together, we talked about how uh, the family represents warmth and it's red and it's it's home and it's a haven, and how the church, it represents yellow because it's the light of the world. And when you bring them together, man, it's a beautiful orange kind of color, and that they need to collide in order for a child's life to grow and for, for them to feel like they matter in this world. And last week we talked about, man, when you realize how much time you have left with a child, that time begins to matter even more. And today we are talking about fighting in the family, because man— Every family fights, do they not? Some of y'all probably fought on the way here. It's okay. I will not judge you here at church. It's fine. So I want to have a little fun. We're going to have a, a little game competition I call Drop the Mic. Oh, yes. So this is going to be a rap battle between a parent and, of course, a teenager. So if you'd help me welcome our parent, Eddie, to the stage. He's bringing the heat. Oh, yeah. So good. So, yeah. Yeah, he's the dad who's got the swag. This bad boy's from the Stone Ages. So, let's bring out our teenager. Her name is Faith. Oh, come on. Give it up for Faith, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. I heard. I heard. I heard Faith is a straight savage when it comes to dropping some bars. So, y'all be on the lookout. All right. So, here's the rules of the game, you two. We're going to be dropping bars. It's going to be a roast session of each other. You got a fight fair, so you're going to have an opportunity to drop the mic, spit some rhymes, and then we're going to pass it back, and we're going to 
vote at the end of this to see who wins. How are you feeling, Faith? You feel I'm feeling good. good. I'm feeling, feeling confident. confident. Yeah. Yeah, 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 really good, like most teenagers do. And then... Let's do this. You feel good? Okay, great. Okay, so I'm going to hand it up to the dad first. Let's spin that track. Hit it! Oh, going to the boombox. Okay, all right. Uh-huh. All the music you listen to is made by losers. Why don't they learn an instrument instead of on computers? Oh. T-Swift, Selena Gomez, One Direction, MJ Beads. You think we have bad music? At least ours has a melody. Oh! Oh, no! Oh! <laughs> by the way, this is a rap battle, so you can be like, oh, you know? Like, do, do with me. Oh! Oh, yeah, he fried you. <laughs> good job, Dad. All right. You ready? You feel good? Yeah, feeling good. Okay, feeling good. Right. Here, here we go. Here we go. All right. Oh, okay. Okay. Let me ask you one question. Have you ever heard of Twitter? That's right. Facebook is cool. The parent babysitter. Oh. The only time you need me is to hook up the TV so you can scramble an egg like your man Gordon Ramsay. No! Oh, no! Not my boy. Not my boy, Dog, Gordon. You hit me She here. just attacked your boy, Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Dude, what's she going to do? You going to defend your man? Yeah. Okay. That's what I do. That's what I do. Drop it like it's hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Hey, I know you think you're lit YOLO with charisma, but you know I saw everything that you posted on your Insta. So don't try to hide it. You don't need... Oh! 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 Dang! It's okay, Dad. You, you got bars in my heart, man. I saw that. There's heart points. I know you didn't spit the rhyme. It's okay. All right, teenager, this is your time to maximize. Yeah. You feel good? Yeah. yeah Let's okay. do it. Let's good. do it. Yeah, I see, your, I see your point of view, though, Dad. It's good. It's good. I got you. Okay. Hey, you know I love you, but my curfew is a bore. I think your mind is slipping. No one says YOLO anymore. And grounded, please. I'll always find a way you couldn't stop me if you tried. Oh, and you're going gray. Oh! Oh! Oh, dude, she just called you Gandalf the Gray. What you gonna do? None shall pass. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Dad, you gonna let her disrespect you like that? Okay. Hey, I brought you into this world so I can take you out of it. I don't get your snap streaks, not to mention that you're proud of it. What about your grades? Keeping your room clean. I'm shocked you can even rhyme. You only talk to your screen. Oh! Oh! Hold it back! Hold it back! Hold it! Oh! He did not just attack your phone, did he? Oh, no. Okay, show him who's boss. Okay, Last let's get time. this Come done. Come on, all right, all right. You don't give me no respect, got me feeling like Aretha and my allowance this month. You can charge that on your visa. And while we're discussing all your parenting flaws, we're out of snacks, you can't rhyme. Now I'll hold for my applause. Oh! 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 All right. So here we go. We got a measure. We got to see who wins. So it's based by a round of applause. So let's take our contestants. Who thinks Eddie, our parent, wins this rap battle at the bar? All right, okay. And then who thinks Faith, our teenager, wins? Oh, oh man. I mean, I got to declare the winner. Dad's the winner. Oh, man. Awesome, man. Give these guys a round of applause. What a good to see you. Oh, my goodness. So there's really no better way right now than to transition into the offering. (laughs) 
Oh, shoot. So hey, honestly, uh, in all seriousness, this is a moment, if you are a guest here, if this is your first time, you're new to this whole Kensington thing, uh, this is a no-pressure moment, no obligation. Uh, this is for us who call Kensington home, who we believe that God has given to us generously, and so with what he has given us, we want to be generous back uh, as a symbol and sign of our trust uh, that he can always and will provide. In fact, me and my wife, we actually give online, uh, and I've just, I've loved seeing the way that God has moved through our finances. Well, hey, uh, as we have kind of seen through this rap battle and in the series, man, we're talking about the tension today, everybody. We're talking about the pain of our life. We're talking about how every single family, man, you can't escape it. Everybody seems to fight. And so how do we handle this tension? And so I believe in this room right now. I believe that there are two types of parents in this room. The first type of parent is what I like to call the rules parent, right? Love the letter of the law. You love the way that things that have an organization and a structure, you got those curfews in place. And then the second type of parent are my people. It's the relaxed, more relationship parent. Yeah, you feel me? Okay, so I kind of want to see who I got in the room. Who are the rules-based parents in here? Oh man, look how, look how well you followed the rules. You raise your hand. Man, you guys love uh, chore charts and Excel spreadsheet documents of meal planning. Man, my, my people right there. All right, so who are my uh, re- relaxed, relational type parents? Let's see you. Hey, come on. I'm genetically predisposed. I'm going to be like you. Of course, you can have cake. It's only 8 a.m., right? <laughs> be in the friendship. So, so for me and my family, uh, my, my mom, she was, she's a little bit more of a rules mom because mom's a rule, of course. Shout out to the mom's rule. Uh, come on. Um, I know y'all got excited when I talked about chore charts. She's like, yes, you go, mom. <laughs> uh, but my mom, she's a little bit of a rules mom, not so much in the sense of what I couldn't can do, who I couldn't hang out with. She was more about responsibility. She wanted me to, to contribute to the household. She loved cleanliness. And so she had chore charts. You know, we had our weekend things that we had to do. And she just loved when we would be involved in things. And so she'd always say things to us like, hey, uh, boys, can you uh, help me out tomorrow? Uh, you know, I want to just nail some drywall for about three hours starting in the morning. Then we're going to make all the trees in the front yard move to the backyard. Uh, we're going to move the garage from the left side of the house to the right. And then we're going to take off those gross clothes you have on. And that was my mom. And I will say this one thing. The one thing that my mom did that absolutely scarred me, as a teenager, as a teenager in high school, when we were driving to school with my friends in the car, she would pray every day for us in front of my friends, man. And we'd just be pulling up and I'd be like, oh, mom, please don't, please don't. She'd be like, Lord, bless these boys in Jesus' name. And I'd be like, Yes, God, bless this car. Oh, man. Oh, as a teenage son, man, I miss it. That I'll tell you. Uh, and so that was kind of my mom. But my dad, he was a little bit more relaxed, relationship type. You know, he, when I'd wake up, for instance, I'd go downstairs and he'd be like making bref- breakfast. And he's a little more of an acts of service guy. And he'd be like windexing everything. And I'd be like, hey, hey, dad, like, do you need any of my, do you, do you need any of my help? And he'd just be like, Drew, no, you go sit down. You enjoy yourself, and you just sit there and look good. And I was like, oh, I, I don't mind if I do, you know? <laughs> and so my dad was a little bit more relaxed in his nature, and we had a great friendship, and, and he was great. But, but for me, and, and of course, and this happens in all of our families, there's usually some pain points. And for me, around when I was 10 years old, my parents decided to split, and they got a divorce. And so my dad moved out of the home, and I would say from roughly about age 
10 to age 15 or 16, my parents uh, used me and my, my identical twin brother, uh, who you don't even know if it's me or him on the stage right now, um, <laughs> and my sister, and they would make us try to choose who we should be, who we should believe, who we believe was right in the situation. And it caused a lot of tension, it caused a lot of pain, caused a lot of bitterness, and a lot of resentment towards both of our parents in this situation. And so my mom, who was uh, my rules-oriented mom, she had to raise three teenagers by herself. And so when she would come home and we wouldn't contribute because we were defiant and teenagers who sleep in till 2 p.m., a lot of things didn't get done. And so she'd be exasperated. And we lost a lot of respect, so there's a lot of pain in that. And my mom was suffering through a lot of hurt. And then my dad, I would say, um, for somebody who's already relaxed relationally because he moved away, just by nature of moving away, uh, became even more relaxed. And there the intention of relationship from him to us was removed from us, and it kind of became a little bit more uh, unintentional. And so that caused a lot of pain. And, and I think for me, I began to guard myself um, from intim- having intimacy with my parents. And I think when it comes to our children and our families, we know that we can't live at either of the extremes of being highly rules or highly relationship. Because we know that Relationship has many good things. It makes a child feel loved. It makes a child feel secure and like they're worthy and that they are fun to be around. And then if you're a rules parent, it helps provide a lot of safety and guardrails and provision and direction and purpose to know that somebody is looking out and providing the boundaries in which we are free to live life in a way that is vibrant and life-giving. And so both are good, but we know the happy medium. We have to live in both because I think for so many of us parents or for those of us who even have parents, we begin to to go towards the one that we believe is going to work. If we are too rules-oriented, we begin to relax a little bit and try to be friends and and give them space. Or if we're too relaxed, we try to enforce more more rules. And and what what happens is, is we all have some sort of pain points inside of our families. And so something I believe is that a lot of times when Uh, rules minus relationship equals rebellion. And likewise, relationship minus rules also equals rebellion. If you have all rules and no fun, then a person doesn't have uh, love towards, a child doesn't have love towards their parent. And if you have all relationship, but there's no rules, there's no respect that's given, and so a child could bulldoze their parents and show disrespect about any rules that are tried to be placed. But something that I believe is that rebellion also equals pain. Is that rebellion in any form or essence, whether it comes as rejection, whether it comes as misunderstanding, or a piece of vulnerability that was betrayed, it causes pain in the relationship, and it experiences on both ends. And I think as parents, it's hard to admit that we actually are hurting because of what our children say to us. Is that I'm supposed to be the authority. I have raised you. I've created you. But there are things that you can say that actually hurt me in my person. There are things that you can say that can make me bitter inside and make me feel pain. And so we stay up late at night, late into the night, worrying over our children and wondering what they actually think about us and are heartbroken over the strained relationship and the closed doors in our face. And then I think for many of us children, at one point, we were all children, and so we all understand what it's like to have pain in the, in the realm of our parents. The parents who maybe didn't affirm us. The parents who maybe never showed intention and investment into our soul. The parents who we felt like maybe even abandoned us for some of us. And I think our children, 
maybe have some sense of that, that maybe our parents, they don't really listen to me when I'm actually hurting. And yeah, I know that they have listened to me, but they're telling me to get over it and they're dismissing the pain and the vulnerability that I'm trying to showcase before them. So for me and my family, uh, when it was just my mother and my, my siblings, um, I had a ton of defiance and disrespect for my mom. Because I think as a, as a teenage son, my mom loved me as a son, but I wanted to get respected like a man for my mom. And so when my mom would give a lot of orders and a lot of rules to follow, I felt defiant and I would buck that system. And on top of being a teenage boy who was rather lazy and slow to move, it just created a lot of ruffled feathers. And so it came to a, such a point where I rejected my mom pretty much in, in the sense of being in relationship, where I didn't want to look at her, I didn't want to talk with her, I didn't want to engage with her about her day. And so I did the classic teenage boy thing where you just shut up and look forward at the dinner table. And one night, my mom came home, and we didn't empty out the dishwasher, you know, as you don't. And I'm pretty, by the way, I'm pretty sure dishwashers are invented by Satan because that caused more division in my house than Satan ever did. All the moms are like, yes, amen. <laughs> and it caused this huge fight because my mom was exasperated and at her wit's end because of this relational strain. And it got into one of those huge fights as a family that kind of disrupts the haven that you live in. And there's a moment that actually really shifted my relationship with my mother, my brother's relationship with our mother. And as it was, as it was this night when we were in the kitchen and she begins to cry, and she looks her, she ha- hangs her head towards the ground, and she just says this, and she, and she does something so, she says something so courageous and vulnerable and honest, and she says this, I feel so hurt by my boys because my boys don't even want to look me in the face, but they don't even want to have a relationship with me. And in that moment, my heart was flooded with compassion for my mother, Because she did something courageous and it was exposing the vulnerability of her true feelings. She offered up her full self, her full emotional faculties of what she was really going through in that moment. And my heart flooded towards compassion with this woman who I priorly disrespected for years. And it shifted everything. And I wonder, as my mother who had the courage to be vulnerable, I wonder for some of us as parents, we know that The argument we're having with our children really isn't the argument. It's the pain behind the argument. Every single emotion that a teenager or a kid or a toddler has is rooted in something deeper. There's some sort of sense of feeling insecure or a sense of feeling upset or not popular or awkward or feeling disrespected or embarrassed by the reaction that they had when you told them to go do something. And so there's always a root pain beneath the arguments. And sometimes we like to focus way more on our, chi- our children's problems than we do our pain. And I wonder if parents, if we had the courage in our vulnerability to dig into the well of our children's hearts and to fight for their pain and to just see who they are in that moment and to approach it so that we can have the 100% true version of their self and the root that is causing the fruit of the argument. And I believe that when we point out the problems instead of their pain and we lose their heart in the process. In other words, we can win the argument and force behavior and still lose the heart in the middle of the fight. It's because it was never about the fight. It was never about the technicalities and the tones and the differences. It was about the heart. 
It was about the pain. It was about the roots that were growing so deeply underneath. And we all know this, especially in marriage. Maybe you don't have any children yet, and this is more maybe a little prep talk for your future, but maybe you're married and you're in a relationship and you see this happen all the time, man. I think for me and my marriage, man, I remember the first time I ever saw Natalie Daniels. Whew, man, I had that. I was like, oh my gosh, I love you. I gotta have you. Huh. And I Facebook stalked the mess out of that girl. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh. Swipe, call me Drew Swipe Right Daniels. <laughs> Just no, no picture was left unturned. And I, I finally mustered up, up the courage and I asked her out on a date. And we went on our first date and slowly into our relationship, she had a lot of past pain from relationships. And so she, I, I put myself out there and I said, hey, I want... I want to do this thing. I think I like you. And she just says, honestly, I have so much pain in my past. I don't think I'm ready for it. She wasn't ready in her heart. And so I felt rejected. I felt rejected as a person, as a man who wasn't good enough, who maybe I felt like I should have been good enough. And so what happened is, is I then rejected her. I rejected her person. I blamed that she was the one who had all the pain, that she had all the character issues. And so the very foundation of our relationship, instead of all the brain drugs that all of us get, when we first start dating our spouse or whatever, was that of rejection and a sense of rebellion against each other. But I was like, man, she's Nat Daniels. Like, I can't let her get away, and you're feeling pain, and I feel pain. So we're just going to do this thing together, all right? And we walked through that for about a few years in our relationship. We're just hurt, and a lot of bitterness happened, and, and, and who I was as a man shifted from being a guy who, who learned how to fight for the pain of people, but instead, I learned how to fight with somebody else. And I think for many of us, when it comes to fighting inside of our families, some of us try to be the more mature adult, or maybe we're even parenting our own parents who are ahead of us, and we try short-term patience to be mature, and when we try to be patient in the short term, maybe for a day or two, that we get met with a long-term root of bitterness. And this happens in marriage, it happens in relationships, maybe at work, it happens everywhere. And then we say, well, I tried. I mean, I did everything that I could. But the truth is, is that we were fighting the wrong thing. Is that we needed a heart transformation and we needed to find a higher value than just having more patience and trying harder to be good and nice. And so Jesus, he speaks so much to the Jewish culture in his day about what it's like to follow rules and what rules you really should follow. And how Jesus constantly, he points back to a higher value that isn't just about rules, and all, but then all, maybe just showing tons, tons of grace and ignoring that the rules matter. But Jesus always surprised people in how he spoke, how he responded to the people. That's what I actually love about the scriptures, man. It's like you dig in there, and there's always a surprise that's different from other pieces of ancient Near Eastern literature. And so in Jesus's day, a lot of people followed what was called the law, which is over 600 precepts and commandments and instructions of how the Jewish people, the Israelite uh, people, needed to live their life. And so it's widely known that you couldn't just follow all of these rules. At some points, you were going to break one of them. And so over time, kind of like in our culture, over time, schools of thinking began to develop about which laws were the most important because maybe there were heavier laws to obey that were more significant and meaningful for you to connect with God and maybe there were other ones that were lighter and were just for a slight benefit of your well-being. And so there were schools of thought that were beginning to develop, to develop, kind of like our political climate where we highlight social issues over one another. And what happens? We begin to argue and fight about who is right. We see this actually in the Christian church historically, that we have one, we have one Bible 
And yet we look at interpretations and we begin to kind of branch out based on our schools of thinking. And so this has been happening for a long time. And rabbis, who were called teachers, would begin to develop their own specialties of what they believed was the quickest pathway to God. And so so there's a lot of sensitivities and arguments broke out between rabbis and followers about who was right. And they would highlight things like circumcision. This is actually the marking of an Israelite. So you need to follow this. Or maybe it was observing the Sabbath day because you need to know who you are so you can rest with God. And so this is the most important commandment that you need to have. Or maybe for you, it's the law of fringes of your garment because that's how people see and that's on the outside. Or maybe it's you need to wash yourself in some of the purification rituals that you needed to do to mark yourself as clean before people. And some people thought that that was the same as murder. And that's what they would preach. And other people, maybe they thought, well, no, the oral spoken word of the law of God is more significant and has more weight than that of the written word of God, like the scribes uh, have written. And so, so many arguments and fights have broken out. And so Jesus at this time is a rabbi. And his following is getting huge because He has an authority that other rabbis don't have. And at the same time, many other rabbis and many leaders before him claimed divinity, that they were God. And Jesus is claiming his divinity. And so the Pharisees, who are called the experts of the law, they despised Jesus because his movement was getting so large that it was disrupting the perceived political peace between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire that was occupying the Jewish people. And they didn't want to disturb the peace. They thought it was good. And then here's another guy who's claiming to be God, and yet his following is exploding. And so what these Pharisees would do, they would take a rabbi, and they would question them. They would ask them questions to show that, hey, you are in perceived uh, subordination to me. And so a teacher, or a Pharisee, comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. He wants to ask him a question to say, you're under my authority, and he has some intentions In his question, so this is where we pick up our story. And it says, one of them, an expert of the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So out of all these laws, man, which one are you going to go in? Which school of thought are you going to devote yourself to? And Jesus, of course, he has a choice to make. Either he can choose to choose a law, but that has implications. It could mean that if he chooses the Sabbath or circumcision or whatever it may be, that His authority might be diminished and he might be equated with other rabbis because he's chosen a camp and a tribal way of thinking. Or maybe if Jesus chooses an answer, some of his followers who disagree with it would fall away from him. And in all of this, it's really a ploy to get Jesus's authority to be diminished and so that his following would stop so that there'd be peace in the land. And so this teacher, man, he comes after him and it's a little bit of a win-win situation of, I got you. I'm going to trap you with this question. But of course, Jesus has such an authority and has such a wisdom, a supernatural divine wisdom that he answers differently. And maybe you've heard this in church, and it sounds really pretty on a postcard, but this is what he says. And I want to talk about the significance of this and our context of our families, but also I want to talk about it and what this means for our relationship with God. So Jesus, is, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, because this is the first, the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus does give a response with a law. This law was found in the book of De- our, uh, our book of Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so Jesus quotes a law, and he says that this is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he says, and a second is like it. 
So he adds one. He doesn't just choose one. He says there's a second that's exactly like it. And he says this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That every law that we have, the 600, hangs upon a higher value than the 613 rules that we have. There is a higher value of love that we are concerned about when we talk about some of these rituals and some of these resting. It's so that we can love God and love others, and this is all-encompassing. And so Jesus is kind of responding, saying, man, all these other rabbis, they're fighting and arguing about the technicalities. They're fighting and arguing about the content of what they should be doing. Sound like a family to you? They're fighting about the content and the rules and the technicalities and the tones and the postures and saying, well, how could you think this about somebody? That they're arguing about the wrong thing because there's a higher value that is missing. And that higher value is learning how to love. So about a year ago, my wife and I, we were visiting her parents who live about 30 minutes away. And, you know, we had to go and stop and bring snacks uh, because for all, all of you married people, you know that if you have a wife, you can't show up empty-handed anywhere, so you have to stop and get the snacks. So we stop at this gas station, and in light of this, we got in a huge fight because we were late, and we're exhausted, and we're tired, and we're frustrated at each other, and we're arguing in the car. And so I'm like, fine, we'll stop at this gas station. We pull over. My wife gets out. She goes into the gas station, and out of the corner of my eye, we were in a small town that kind of felt like rednecky like Hickville a little bit. And I saw these three dudes from the corner of my eye, and I was like, oh no. And the first guy, he had no shirt on, so that's kind of what tells you the situation was like. The second guy had a wife beater on, and the third guy kind of looked like a combination of Duck Dynasty and the other two guys. (laughs) And so they're hooting and hollering, like, hey, 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 walking into this gas station, being all boisterous. And I was like, oh no, I see it. And I don't know if I have a spiritual gift or God was speaking to me because he probably was. I unclick my seatbelt. I get out of the car. And these guys follow my wife in within a few paces of the store. And I was like, oh no, they're going to they're gonna talk to my wife. And I felt it. Sure enough, my wife had found her way to the back of the store. They made a beeline to her and started to talk to her. Oh, 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 oh. no, they did it. And so they went up to her and they're like, hey, pretty baby, why don't you give us a smile? Ho, 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 ho. Oh, man, I got five blind boys, two sounds. My fist hitting your face, you hitting the ground, bro. And so I walk up to them and I thought of everything I could say in that moment. And I just walked to them and I said, hey, no, no. And I took my wife and I left. And then he called me and he's like, hey, come on, man. Why, why won't you just give me a smile? And I looked at him and I... I mustered up everything and I said, you know what you did. You know what you did. And I took my wife and I left. <laughs> so we got into the car. Oh, come on, man. I mean, I know. Ain't no thing, man. Ain't no thing. And we get into the car and my wife, she grabs my hand and she's holding. She's like, thanks so much for coming there. I'm like, baby, it's good. Come on, you know. I mean, I, ha- I had to handle. She's like, man, you're so brave in there. I was like, I know, man. They were finished. <laughs> I mean, man, they, they, were, they were done. And she was like, yeah, they were really done, weren't they? I was like, yeah. But in that moment, actually, it's kind of funny because she, she did grab my, my hand and, and our fists locked and we kind of felt that connection. It felt like Romeo and Juliet, man. It was like, man, we're fighting somebody else. We're getting together and it was this connection and it made us stop fighting. And, and kind of looking back on that moment, I realized one thing and it's this fighting for, for my wife 
is better than fighting with her. It's better to fight for the person that I'm with than it is just to be in argument about things. And I think when it comes to our families and the pain that we experience and the fights we experience is that there's a higher value of fighting for the heart. It's not about winning the argument. It's not about the behavior or that tone that they use every single time that they talk to us. Because I think when we love, we fight for the heart to win the soul. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to fight for you. We don't try to win. We try to help them win in life. It's not about the tones. It was never about the technicalities. It was never about the content of the argument or the rules that were disobeyed, that there's a different heart posture. And I think as parents, if we can provide a haven of safe vulnerability and total trust and a higher value of love by fighting for their heart to win their soul, they will feel the peace and the safety and they will open up. In fact, I believe that fighting for their heart now is fighting for their future later is that they are in a phase, and this phase matters, and it only happens one time. And so what are you going to do with the time that you have? Because it matters even more now, because when you fight for their heart now, you're investing into their future later. There's a guy who heard about a divorced mom who had a few sons who played hockey, and he felt like he needed to go to their game, and so he showed up at their game, and he heard God speak to him and said, I want you to spend time with those boys. And his name was Nick Smith. And Nick Smith was my youth pastor. And he fought for my heart in a time where I felt like I didn't have anyone fighting for me. And he spoke words of encouragement that shaped my soul. And it made me believe in myself. And a part of me wonders, if he didn't come along and make my faith interesting, and if he didn't really show me who Jesus was with the way that he loved me, would I be some 26-year-old guy with a man bun standing on a stage before you? Because he fought for my heart in the past and it impacted my future. And I'm forever grateful. And it's no wonder that I get verklempt when I think about it. Because he meant the world to me. And I think fighting for their pain is the same thing. Because I think when, when you fight for the heart, you fight for the pain. You fight for the root. Fighting for their aloneness. So many of our children and our teenagers... Man, the most dangerous thing in the world is to have a lock on your door and have too much internet access. Or maybe there's image issues that's causing them a lot of pain, or maybe you as a parent have personally caused them pain, and they are angry at you because of your restrictions. Or maybe they have pain because they know that they've rebelled and they have so much shame that they can't help but rebel because at least they're getting attention. And it's about fighting for the pain in their life, to see them in their pain. Because it's not just enough, I think, for so many of our children just to hear about the pain. But we have to see them in their pain. And whether you, you don't even have kids here today and you're kind of wondering what this is all about, I think all of us in our life have some sort of pain point. And that there's a higher value of love that we need to attach to the pain. And so the thing that you need to do is you need to walk through your pain so that you can get to the higher value of love. And I think in our culture, man, we feel like we need to cover up our pain. We cover it and occasionally confess it. But our pain, it always needs oxygen. It needs to be expressed by the carrier. It needs to be felt. 
So you need to swim in your pain and live in it and know that it's there and have the courage to be honest about how you truly feel. In fact, there's a, there's a principle in marriage. It's called the 2% rule. And it says this, that most times in our fights, we bring about 98% of ourselves. We say everything. We've pre-thought all the arguments and everything that they could say back. And I've told you how I felt. And you told me how you felt. And I'm telling you how you're doing. And you're telling me how I'm doing and being. And we bring 98% of the content to the argument. But there's a 2%. And it's how you really feel. It's the true emotions that underlie everything. And when you get to the 2%, you get 100% connection. And the 2% says, I was really embarrassed by my response when you told me that. And so I reacted and I was covering it up and I'm really sorry. The 2% says, I felt really insecure when you said that about me. And it made me feel like you loved this other person maybe more than me. Or I felt ashamed of my actions. And that's why I said what I said to you. But I felt really frustrated because I feel like you don't trust me enough to live my life and to know that I'm trying my absolute best. And I have shame because I know that I failed you. And it's that final 2% that brings 100% connection. And I think all of our children, they're little Chinese finger traps. A lot of times, as they get older, they pull away. And so what do we do? We pull away back. But you only get more in a trap. And the only thing you got to do is just go towards each other, man. Do you know anybody in this life that really likes being alone and left alone? Of course they don't want you there if you're just going to make them feel shame. Of course they're not going to want to be there if they have to feel embarrassed or they know they broke a rule or they're going to disappoint you again. Of course they don't want you and they're going to pull away. But everybody wants someone who's going to dive into their heart, who's going to love them inside of their consistent, repeated, repeated failure. That everybody wants someone to fight for their heart. Whether you're married, single, don't have any kids, whatever. Everybody wants somebody to fight for their heart. So it's important that we have a heart that can fight for hearts. And seeing a child in their heart will bring them healing. It is better for you to know every detail of why they are hurting than for you to be totally blind to it. It's better to see all the hurt that you cause than to blindly cause hurt to their heart. For my wife, man, I'm going to drill down. I want to know everything. I want to know exactly how I've made you feel insecure. I want to know exactly how you felt about me as a husband who has let you down, who's been angry, who you couldn't trust. I want to hear all of it. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to cry with you about it because I just know that it's not about what you're saying that's going to make me feel shame because I know that I'm demonstrating and illustrating a higher value of love saying, I just want you to be free because I'm fighting for your heart. I'm fighting for your person, man. This is who you are, and I'm going to plead with you. And I think so many times we just cover up that pain, and we come back and, well, you never. Well, she never. I tried. I've been there. For, I've raised you. And it's like, no, man. We need to sit there in the pain and fight for the heart. And many times we don't do this because of the fear. We don't reveal the 2% because of the fear of judgment. Man, if I actually tell you, you're going to judge me for how I feel how I really feel. I'm afraid because I feel like I'm going to self-identify as weaker in this area if I tell you my insecurity. And so therefore, you're going to judge it. Or maybe for us in our workplace, we cover up our, our real pain because we're afraid that someone's going to mishandle our pain. They're not going to give it the appropriate response it needs. Or maybe we're afraid somebody's going to coach our pain and tell us everything that we need to do. But I just need you to listen. And man, Christians are the worst because they have a Bible verse for everything. 
It's like if I took a ninja star in your face. And I think maybe the biggest reason why maybe we don't want to drill into the hearts of our children, our, our relationships in our life, is because we're afraid to feel guilty and ashamed of what we've done. And if you really sit there and you expose that thought for what it really is, it's like, man, I'm going to have a child who in their future, I'm going to cause pain in their life because I'm afraid to actually face up to my own character issues because I'm not vulnerable. I don't have the courage to sit there and know exactly and own all the ways that I have shortcomings because we all do. That you are not alone that we all have insecurities and reactions and anger and bitterness in our heart. But isn't there something more beautiful about fighting for the heart than focusing on all the rules and focusing on all the arguments and technicalities? And if you're wondering, I think, well, how do I do this? Because I have no way to do this because, man, I am, I am the one that's in deep pain. And I think when it comes to our faith and our walk with God, I look at this commandment that Jesus spoke. I'm going to be bold. And I read it. And I have a fear. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And my fear, I think for the Christian church, is that we skirt around the word all. We skirt right around it. And yeah, it sounds great on a postcard. And yeah, I agree with this verse as I sit in this auditorium. And yeah, I've heard that a lot before. But if you claim to follow Jesus and call him Lord, and you see that word all, that's everything. And I think for some of us, we need to have that surrender moment with God. We need to have the courage to sit in our pain with God for maybe the ways that he's disappointed us or failed us or let us down. Because he's our father and maybe there's pain there. And for some of us, maybe we're not at the love with all, strength, soul, mind. Maybe you need to offer up to God what you do have, which is your pain. And I love what King David spoke about in the Old Testament. Because he committed adultery and had tremendous shame and he's confronted by his prophet friend. And so he's sitting in the conviction and the shame of being exposed for exactly who he is, exactly what his character was, that he wasn't loving God with everything. And in fact, his life was totally different. And he goes before the Lord and he says, for you, God, will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Meaning that for David, he didn't have any love to offer God. He didn't have any sacrifices. And I think we try to patch things up with God and say, God, you can have this career, you can have this and this. It's like, no, he wants your broken and contrite heart, man. You're trying to give him all this other stuff that yeah, he's going to get to the all part, but right now what you need to do is just offer up the brokenness that you actually have when it comes to some of these areas of your life because that's what he's going to accept. And there's a fear of actually being broken and vulnerable. 
Because what if, I hurt, what if I hurt more after this? What if I fall apart and then I just begin to hurt even more and it never really goes away? But what I know is, is that the moment that you actually sit and embrace and give your pain the oxygen that it deserves is that it serves you and it serves your heart. It'll change you. And then when you go before your heavenly father and you say, God, I want to give you all of my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, everything about me, then he'll answer. And God's promise has never changed for us. If he calls us a son, because we've given our life to him and we're found in Christ, that never changes. But my relationship is always dependent on me with God. And sometimes he's gracious and he'll show up. And many times, man, he's the one carrying us the whole time. But he's waiting for us to pursue back because he pursued because he didn't even give, he didn't even spare his own son, it says in the scriptures, so that he could have you back and be in relationship with you. So maybe for some of you, you actually need to Fight for the heart of God before you fight for anyone else. Because the minute you fight for the heart of God, you're fighting for your own heart. And that heart will change and fight for other hearts. And I think the last piece of anything that I would have to share, uh, I I felt like God really spoke to me. And you would think that it was when I was in a prayer closet and I had a ton of journals and a ton of tissues. But I was watching an episode of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and uh, the, bad, the once bad boy, Dr. Karev, who didn't have a father, was sitting in a, a waiting room with a patient whose wife was giving birth to a kid and the wife might, might possibly die. And so this guy is freaking out and he looks to the bad boy, Dr. Karev, and he says, I don't know how to do this parenting thing, man. I don't even know what to do. What do I do? And Dr. Karev from his painful past, he gives the most astounding response. He says, well, it's easy. All you got to do is show up. And I think there's something different about showing up that isn't just being physically present. It's showing up with all of your emotions, with all of your faculties, with all of your brokenness and your vulnerability. That it doesn't matter how it sounds when it comes out, when you're talking with your child, or when you're talking with your wife, or you're talking to your girlfriend, or you're talking to your coworker. It doesn't matter how it sounds when it comes out. All you have to do is show up and give your vulnerability and do the best that you can with what you have. Because that's trying, man. That's showing up. The most courageous thing you can do in the arena of life is show up. And maybe between you and God, you just need to show up. Doesn't matter, man. Doesn't matter how expressive or what it looks like. Or you can be as formal as you want to be. God, thus thou, and the dwelling where you dwell. Please hear my prayers like, no, God, I'm hurting and I'm in pain and I feel disappointed in you for what you said to me and it didn't happen. It's like, man, that's real. Man, I feel like you're not really who everyone talks about you and I feel like a crazy person right now and I feel totally different than everybody else. It's like, just show up and bring you. Bring your brokenness. Bring your broken and contrite spirit because that's a sacrifice that God is going to delight in. Because there's a higher value of love. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about love and what it feels like and what it sounds like and what it does. And this is what Jesus described as love. He says, man, love is patient and it's kind. And love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. And this isn't 
what you need to do to have love. This is the description of love. This is what happens when you have love. It's not about you doing love while love is a choice. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is be broken and be honest in a courageous way. And for some of you, while you're waiting on God, you realize that this isn't an overnight pre- this is not an overnight change. This is not something you just do in a moment, but instead, this is something that God is going to do over the course of time because love is actually spelled T-I-M-E. And so maybe for some of us in here, you just need to wait on God and have him slowly transform you into the image of his son and slowly transform you into the image of Jesus. And maybe some of you, you need to meet Jesus. You need to know who he is because he's the savior God who says, you don't have to fix yourself and work your way, man. You just, I'm going to die for you so that you can have life in me and we can have relationship that all of it was so that God could be in relationship. It was never about you following rules. Really? You think I care that you enter into a specific address and location every single Sunday and that's what's going to make you holy? It's like, no, I want your heart. I want everything about you. That's what love is. And so as we sing our next song, we're talking about courage and waiting on God. And some of us, we need to have the courage to actually dive into our heart and actually be vulnerable. And maybe for those of you, just don't do that. Maybe others of us, we need to have the courage to have a conversation, to be honest and sit there and fight in the trenches for the hearts of many. And when it comes to our children, when you fight for their heart now, you fight for their future later. Do you pray with me? Dear God, I just ask that none of this would be routine. I ask that none of this would just feel good now, and then we go home and take a nap, and we forget. Or we get discouraged because we feel like our feelings only take us so far and our emotions deceive us every single time because we think we're going to do better and we don't. But God, I just believe there's something in the brokenness of saying, I'm going to put my effort forward. I'm going to, I'm going to give you what I have at least. I'm going to show up. And I hope that that's a sacrifice that you delight in. So God, as we approach your throne and know that you are love and that there's no fear in love, because perfect love casts out all fear, that we'd be met with a humble, loving God who's just been waiting for us the whole time. We love you. Amen. Amen.
darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Oh, you're faithful, you are. together here with you today. Uh, it's just been such a joy for my heart, and it's been, it's been interesting. I'll, I'll have a moment of honesty, man. 
Uh, maybe you could tell, but I don't have kids. And so <laughs> this has kind of been a very interesting pre- preparation process. Um, but, uh, you know, as some, I, being married for about two years is, is interesting. You know, everyone tells you how hard marriage is. And um, then when you get there, you experientially understand it. And I think uh, when it comes to kids, man, I don't pretend to know probably how difficult and hard it is. And so just today was, man, I hope it can just encourage your heart that, that there's a greater value of love and that this is a principle that Jesus really talks about. And fighting that for the heart is so worth it because it matters so much to the life of a child. It matters so much to the life of a spouse, and a coworker, and everybody you come in contact with. So thank you so much for coming this week. We'll see you next week. And once again, if you want to help serve, because we need a lot of uh, army people who want to take the kingdom of God together, uh, then go out into the lobby, have a conversation. We would love for you to serve together arm in arm when we have our new location. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.